It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. We've got an hour of Penn State football talk. T. Frank, we are going to start with the open practice that happened last weekend, something unusual in the James Franklin era. And I just got to imagine, for a scouting geek like yourself, this must have been Nirvana. It was. The only problem w- was uh, the rain kind of it – was, it was an interesting situation because I have to be gathering information. I have to be gathering data. So it's not that I was afraid to be in the rain. It's that I was afraid of my equipment being in the rain. And uh, that was an issue of I couldn't take a notepad out in the rain and write anything down. I couldn't take my phone out. And so I stood in the garage doors of Haluba Hall and watched from about 60 yards away for the first part of practice. So – other than that, it was the only bummer. Like, yes, it was everything I wanted it to be of seeing situations, seeing certain formations and packages, seeing certain personnel groupings, all the things that I've been curious about and that we, you know, been getting reports at bluewhiteillustrated.com about, but seeing it for myself in person, seeing those players perform. Yes. Like, I think a lot of people, you go into practice and you go, these are positional drills. I go into positional drills and I go, hey, I like the way that guy runs through that drill. Or, hey, that guy's got great hips. Or, hey, that guy doesn't know how to hold his hands yet. Or So, like, the whole thing was was a lot of fun to to just football nerd about uh, with Penn State. And, and uh, you know, thank you to James Franklin for opening practice. It sounds like everything went well. Uh, sounds like he was pleased with the... Uh, the way everyone handled themselves, the fans included of, you know, not breaking the rules, which by the way, I I was able to go to Eagles camp this weekend. And he was saying that this is the same setup, same way that they do uh, Eagles camp, Steelers camp. They were very serious about you not taking your phone out of your pocket at Eagles camp the other day. So it is, you know, they, they ran a practice that was very similar to a professional one and the atmosphere was great. Everything about it was just, it was a really great time other than, uh, the rain, which was a bummer, but but the fans that stayed through the whole thing, like I tip my cap to those fans. They are they are dedicated fans that really enjoy football. Okay, T. Frank. So we got to see an entire practice. What did we learn? Okay, so like explain physics. <laughs> like there are so many things. Ask me some <laughs> specific questions, and we'll get into it. But we learned that. Uh, okay. Overall, the defense question. is good. What's the meaning of life? <laughs> <laughs> to pursue things passionately and to, I don't know. Uh, the defense looked really good on Saturday. Uh, from, the, from the defensive line back, they all made plays. Um, and part of that is, like I mentioned, we were, doing, uh, we were doing examination of not a full scrimmage of your scoring points. Like they're, still, they're still practicing, so they're practicing situational. And to start the game, uh, the game to start the scrimmage, they were doing backed up against the goal line work. So the, the offense is getting the ball at like the three yard line and they got to get out of a tight jam. So the defense has an advantage in that situation and it's raining. So the defense had a huge advantage to start practice and that kind of set the tone, which carried throughout. Like I, they, once they got the ball to midfield and did a little bit of more midfield work and 
some third down work. Penn State had some success. But for the most part, the, def- the, the defensive line controlled the day uh, with, with the Penn State offense. And then the secondary made some really impressive plays. Some really impressive plays from Caleb King, Johnny Dixon, and downward. You mentioned a defensive line excelled. This would not be a normal show for us if we didn't talk about the defensive tackles. Tell me about go. them and how... <laughs> you said the defensive line excelled. That could be defensive yeah. ends. It could also be the defensive tackles. I want to hear about the defensive tackles. How did they look to you? Uh, good. You know, Jordan Vandenberg, we had heard the light came on for him and he was, you know, not only is he athletic, but he's using his athleticism correctly. I saw him get in the backfield a couple of times and, and get some tackles for loss. Uh, they had lots of penetration. See, this is the problem is, uh, the offensive line, when you're watching football live, it is a car crash. It's just people jamming into each other. And it's hard to say specifically, who did what without being able to rewind it and, and play it again and kind of that instantaneous movement. You can only focus on one thing at one time. And I was so far away that I, I didn't focus specifically on the offensive and defensive line for most of practice. But I got a couple of glimpses here and there. Um, the defense tackles were good. They're, they're what we expected they would be, which is quick, penetrating, and athletic. Um, and that's not to say that they're not big and strong. Those skills are the ones that lead the way, and now they're strong enough to use those skills, I think, is, is, the, is the way you should look at that. If they have the size to use that athleticism and strength against more types of bodies on the offensive line. But the defensive ends were, were getting great work in run defense as well. Adisa Isaac had a bunch of tackles and, and gummed up things in the backfield. And just in general, you know, Penn State running in the middle. There were no there were no discernible holes. It was the defensive line was holding the point of attack. They were mixing things up so that the there was no gaps for the running backs to run through. And, um, you know, it was a lot of pushing the pile for the offense. And from where I was, I couldn't tell how many yards they were pushing that pile. But there were a couple of times the offensive line got a good push and they were to get maybe an extra two or three yards for the running back. But for the most part, it was the defensive line in the backfield causing problems for the offense. The consensus seemed to be the defense outplayed the offense. So what's the conclusion? The defense is just spectacular. The offense is hurting. The rain made a difference. It's just this time of camp. The defense will always be ahead of the offense. What's the conclusion we could come from it? So the conclusion is don't take a conclusion from it because, you know, we we talk about sample size. We get to see 10 minutes of practice a day, and that's always the thing is like, if we get 10 minutes of practice and I see the same thing and I see the same results over the course of six months, like, you know, talking about uh, X player struggling through X, like that is something that we can say, okay, we've seen that multiple times across multiple different practices, multiple different situations, time, you know, times of year, et cetera. But those are really small looks. This is a bigger look into practice, but this is still one practice out of 20 out of however long it's been and how many, um, practices they've had this offseason without the coaches. So it is a small sample size. So don't take anything from this. But what we saw on Saturday, so don't take anything hard from this, anything of any hard conclusions of the offense is in trouble, the defense is elite. None of that is going to be applicable. The defense, the defensive line, they're active, they are physical, they are strong, and they are going to be a factor next year for Penn State. Against every team, I don't know but they are not going to be a weakness of the team every single week. I, I wouldn't expect that. Now, 
some injuries up front uh, that, that we've detailed so far through camp. Those those are something to monitor. And then um, in the secondary, we've seen it enough times. The Penn State defensive backs are that good, and they are deep. So the other thing that I think it, you can take from this is that it wasn't just the first team defense that was dominating. It was the second team and even sometimes the third team, if they mixed in some guys from the second team on the third team, they were strong across the board. So when Penn State and James Franklin talk about we are deep, we have a lot of depth, that two and a half deep is on the D line. And it's in, it's in the D uh, defensive secondary. You know, King Mack and, and uh, Lamont Payne were making plays. So the defense is stacked. That, I think, is pretty fair. And then the offense, you know, they have some work to do, but you, you understand the context of the situation where they were mostly working in certain situations on fourth down. Goal line, short yardage, uh, areas where you're not going to be airing the ball out, and areas where the defense uh, is going to have an advantage. Another area that they worked on at the end of the practice is the four-minute offense, which is you are trying to run the clock out. And the defense knows you're going to run the football. So that's another area where they know what's coming, and this team has played each other for two weeks in camp now. These guys know each other's tells. They know, you know, plays, schemes, formations. You have that built-in advantage. And if you know it's coming as the defense, football's a little bit unfair. So there's, there's a lot of layers to it. You want to take away, I think, individual players playing well, but maybe not uh, overall assessments of the offense or defense. Let's talk quarterback. We know there's going to be a new starter this year. We still don't know who it's going to be, T. Frank, because it's still an open competition. Yeah. Yes. I love your stunned look. Uh, it, it, we know it's going to be Drew Aller. Uh, at least three quarterbacks got some play during the practice. What did mm -hmm. you see from them? Well, let's start with the smallest sample size, but also probably the cleanest. And I thought Jackson Smolik was really good. You know, all of this stuff, they, they're not they don't hide a whole lot when it comes to like reports that we get out of training camp. They're, they're honest whenever you ask them a question. Um, on Monday, James Franklin said, like, nobody asked me about Smith Vilbert. He's been injured for six months. We've known about this for a long time. So they, they never lie. They just omit the truth when they want to or like they don't talk about certain things. So they would talk about Jackson Smolik for the last week and a half. And he he is what we talked about here on the show when when we uh, evaluated him from high school. He is a natural passer. He is a natural quarterback. So he had a great like 15 yard in route in the middle of the secondary to Caden Saunders that was dropped. He had a uh, um, a sprint rollout where he was on target throwing on the run in the rain for a first down to London Montgomery. So like he overall when he threw the football looked really good. Then we'll go back up and end with Drew Aller. Bo Prabula, I thought, had the roughest day. Uh, and again, it, it's hard to tell at times. I was watching the secondary more. I saw some players that were open, but I couldn't tell. Was there a linebacker underneath? Did he not have a passing angle because of pressure from the defensive line, which was pretty constant on, uh, on, on Saturday. So um, he, I thought, he had the biggest run. So he and Smolik had a couple of runs that were really good. That would have been like 30 yarders. But I thought Bo relied on his legs too much. And that is that is a snap judgment that I don't really want to hold on to. Like, if I saw film, I wouldn't be surprised if there were things I didn't see. But, you know, there were a couple times I saw Keandre Lambert-Smith, maybe uh, Liam Clifford open. He could have thrown the football on the run and chose to, to tuck it and run, which is one of those situations where he's the athlete. He, can, he makes that decision. And then from Aller, a lot of aggressive passes downfield because this is a 
defense that is plays tight coverage, right? So they played a lot of man coverage, a lot of aggressive stuff that we've seen from them. And so those are the passes that are available. They're low percentage passes anyway, but um, I, I don't want to say too much of like he forced passes into Theo Johnson because if, if Theo catches it, that's a great pass where it's a tight thread up the seam. He and Khalil Dinkins were off on one. Um, and, and the thing I think that I, I took the most away from is he was a little bit sped up by the pressure. So we've heard that he has been really good against this defense who has been going hard at him, but it wasn't, I didn't see that on Saturday specifically. So that was kind of a, maybe not his best practice. Some of the easy throws were a little bit off target. Now the receiver still caught them, but it wasn't like catch and run. So it caused some situations where guys got tackled for not the, you know, not get the first down because the ball was high and somebody missed a block and, you know, they couldn't make up for both of those things. So just a little bit off, thought he was a little bit sped up and uh, he can recover from those things, but nothing egregious and really not a whole lot. He didn't throw a whole lot of passes. So there wasn't like we had him thrown over the middle and hitting linebackers in the head with a helmet or anything like that. We didn't get to see like a full complement of Drew Aller opening up the offense. A lot of big, uh, packages and personnel and running the football on Saturday. Okay, very good, T. Frank. Love the first-person report for the practice. You talked a little bit about it already. We're going to talk about the Penn State depth that they've developed with this team. Stay tuned for quarter number two. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He is T. Frank. I am Jim. We are talking Penn State football. Quarter number one, we talked about the open practice and uh, how our favorite scouting nerd, T. Frank, was able to be there, absorb it all, take it all in. <laughs> now, uh, T. Frank, you mentioned this a little bit in quarter number one, and this is, seems to have been a theme of James Franklin for a while, talking about this year's team is there's improved depth with this team. Let's face it, injuries always happen. It happens. Yep. This depth is going to be important, not just if there's injuries, but also it's competition at practice. And you wrote an article about this last week that I found really interesting. Let's start with this part of it. Something that helps that team depth is they now have more players out there. They're running multiple fields at a time. Could you explain what they're doing and how that helps with the team depth? Yeah, so they're, they're just, they have enough healthy bodies. And James Franklin talked about there was a waiver where they can bring in some more guys where you can't, before you couldn't bring in your full complement of non-scholarship players. So they got a waiver to get an extra 10 players on the field uh, from the NCAA. So they're able to run two units at the same time. So maybe the ones and fours are going against each other and the twos and threes are going against each other. So it's not just that you're not running scout team and, you know, the ones and twos. You are able to get everybody during camp a, a lot of work. And he actually talked about this on Monday where he said that um, – the fours, the threes and fours, especially. So those young guys from the guys at the bottom of the roster, for example, like a KV on keys who just got here, right. Um, or Dante Cephas, we saw running with the threes, trying to get integrated into the offense, not just being given a spot in the top two, which I think is how you should read that. Not, Oh no, he's not very good. It's that they make you earn your spot at Penn state, which is why some transfers aren't interested in coming to happy Valley. Um, they have been getting those guys so much work that it's already double what they got last training camp. So 
what happens is not only do they have more of that talent we talked about on, on the defense where you've got your third string safety, King Mac, is going to play this year. So you've got five safeties that are legitimately talented. Even if they're young and unproven, you've got five corners that you really like all the way down to um, you know Zion Tracy and, and some of the young guys at the corner position with the Davian Collins. Those guys are getting so much work that it's going to boost their ability and their uh, progress to get ready for the fall. And, and, you know, kind of talking about the cornerback position going there again, Penn State's going to need a fourth corner. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Daquan Hardy? Is it going to be one of the young guys? Um, it's going to, you're going to find out sooner. That's the other thing is you're going to find out sooner about these guys of the offensive line competition. Can X hack it at what position? You get so many more opportunities to see them in live reps. And really, like, football practice is both about the player developing and getting the opportunities and getting more used to what he's supposed to be doing. But it's also then about evaluating and understanding what that guy is and isn't doing in those situations. So it gives the, it gives the offensive coordinator more data to know, okay, we've put this guy in a bunch of situations and he excels here, but not here. We've put this guy in the slot. We put him out wide. He made more plays here than here. I really like the way he ran this route. Maybe he can run two way goes in the slot. So there's different things you can learn from so many reps in practice. And, and that's really the advantage that they've been able to have is not only is the competition between individual players and across the board better because the talent is better, but they're finding out sooner. And it's kind of this upward spiral of growth. At least in theory, that's what it should be for this team. So guys that you want to get ready for game four, they'll definitely be ready by game four. Maybe they'll be uh, ready a little bit earlier. And uh, Franklin said, like, even now, you know, we saw them on Saturday. They're still able to do this because they still have enough health uh, across the board to be able to run so many different plays during practice. Let's talk about some individual units and individual players, T. Frank. I believe after quarterback, offensive line might be the most important position for for players to get reps, to get experience, the mental part of the game. Yep. And I would think that's particularly important with especially those really good, really promising true freshmen that are coming in on the offensive line for Penn State. Yeah, and that's where I think it's still, I wouldn't get too excited about that particular group in terms of playing this year. Because there's a couple of things that go into playing offensive line. <laughs> it's everything. you know. Not, again, not to quote James Franklin, but it, it's such an, uh, a fast position. You know, I think a lot of people think that offensive line is just leaning on somebody and being heavier and stronger. That it can be at times, but the you have to know what you're doing. In a split second, you have to adjust to any sort of thing the defense is doing while executing your block in the scheme and having everyone understand the adjustments you're making on the fly together. So the cohesiveness across the unit, the intelligence level, the reaction time, and then the physical strength to be able to be on the offensive line and run block. Some guys, you... You can play this back and somebody who's a natural athlete that is just better than everybody else, he's going to overcompensate and you're going to be like, well, T. Frank, you don't know what you're talking about because look at this guy. Like, okay, that's one guy. Um, that's one player that can do that. It is rare for those guys to be able to do that. The level and the, the layers of things you need to know as an offensive lineman to block, especially in the run game, perfectly, 
is very high. And some of that stuff only comes with time because you can only get so big and strong in one lifting cycle. And then you got to kind of layer those on top of each other to be a, a pure, you know, to be the athlete you need to be to play on the offensive line. So they're getting good mental work. They're getting a lot of good learning the position. And this is an area where I think the offensive line struggled on Saturday is they were put in situations where they had to be great and they had to win their one-on-ones, their individual battles up front because the defense had them in a situation where they, the defense knew what was coming a lot. And one-on-one, the defensive line was better than some of these freshman offensive linemen that were integrated in because, you know, Landon Tangwall wasn't at practice, which we, we, some people have reported. Olu was being held out because he wasn't going through the, the contact stuff. So you're getting into that depth immediately in the first and second line on the left side. So you got some young guys playing where maybe you wouldn't have you have all Americans or guys that are veterans, especially on the left side. So like those are the things you're going through in practice. And T Frank, you talk in terms of this is something where the payoff will probably be in another year, like in twenty four, with guys like Javon Williams and Alex Birchmeyer. But if yeah. I had talked to you about this a year ago, you probably would have been saying the same thing about Drew Shelton. And lo and behold, he by the end of the season, he was starting due to injuries. Yep. So how, you never know, and that kind of experience will help. The other place where I think this is relevant, having more guys getting reps, would be at wide receiver, where after, say, the first two players, you're not really sure what you have after that, except you have numbers. What are there, like 12 or 13 scholarship yeah. wide receivers? And you're trying to sort that out. How do you evaluate that many guys unless you could get them on the field and get more reps from them? Yeah, and that's, so that's an interesting that's an interesting part of this because it's also the quarterback you're playing with. It's one of the areas where it does matter what team you're on because you need to be making and forging that connection with a quarterback that's going to be the starting quarterback. And, of course, Penn State does not have a, a starting quarterback yet. Bo Perbula did take first-team reps on Saturday scrimmage. Some of them, but the, you know, the lion's share went to Drew Aller. So you've got guys running with the ones, uh, and, and running with Aller. Um, and then you got guys running with Perbula and Smolik. And, and if you're making plays at the lower level, like you get the opportunity then to, to bump up to the second team. And if you're then that good, then you bump up to the first team and see what you can do. And that process, I think takes a little more time than some of the other positions where, Defense is more free to mix and match. Like Tony Rojas got a couple of reps with the one uh, defense, you know, given Curtis Jacobs a blow because he's Curtis Jacobs. He's been here long enough. He knows what he's doing. Like he doesn't need to be out there for every rep. So give it to the young guy. And they gave it, they gave a couple to Tony Rojas where he then forced a fumble uh, on, I think it was Catron. I think it was Nick Singleton on the play. Or it might have been Trey Potts or, or Nick Singleton, one of the two. So like you can make impressive plays as a young player on defense. I think a little bit more easily than the trust and the time and the connection it takes at the quarterback receiver position where you're going to see mostly the same guys, but then, you know, through your drills and your things, your individuals, your one-on-ones, that's where you're going to make a lot of your progress more so than seven on sevens and 11 on 11s where we're playing and we need to make sure that everyone's getting good reps and you know what you're doing. We're not going to trust a lot of those very valuable reps to a receiver who we're just throwing out there to find out what we find out. Uh, T. Frank, you, you make a good point about the defense being able to mix and match. I've often said on our show that on defense a year ago, there were approximately 20 starters. Yeah. It may be the case again this year 
but who are the guys when we're talking about depth? On offense, I think having a second teamer is depth. On this defense, I think it's like you have to go to when you're talking depth. We're talking about the third level guys, which is often those freshmen and true freshmen. Yeah. Who are those guys that we should be talking about on the defensive side, the young guys? I'll highlight two, uh, and they were the guys that stood out. We mentioned Tony Rojas just now. He's going to play. Like I, I think the more, and again, this whole situation of camp and getting so many reps, like he's a guy that's benefiting probably the most from this, um, where he gets to have reps not only against twos and threes, but sometimes he's going against the ones, and it's the quality of the competition, and it's also what he's able to do. I still think he needs a little bit more seasoning as a, as a coverage defender. Zone coverage is hard a lot of times. And I'll just say that like, you're going to get, you're going to get passes caught on you. Um, but that would be an area. I think he still needs to his instincts of not just being in the right position, but being in the right position and then having the awareness to know what is coming at me and then trying to defend it. Because, you know, I think one of the things in Brent prize defense to go on a tangent here is like everyone knew where to be. But the offense also knew where you were going to be, and that's where you got some of those zone catches that went for extra yards. Is like everyone, everyone was so good at being in the right position that you could just be where they weren't and then uh, catch a pass. There's more to this defense in that term. Uh, and then King Mac, holy cow! Like we've heard, King Mac is great. I've told you on the show, King Mac. I love him. I think he can play four positions. I thought maybe this summer I was like maybe I'm a little bit ridiculous about a guy that's five nine being able to eventually play like the Sam. That striker position we talked about when Manny Diaz got here. No, he can. <laughs> he took Trey Potts to the sideline. Uh, I mean, like, so he had a sideline hit on Trey Potts. And you know when two football players hit, like, somebody wins the engagement, right? A, I, I believe he's a redshirt senior running back and a freshman safety. And it was, at best, a stalemate. And at worst, I think King Mac got a little bit more on that hit. He is so aggressive and he's so explosive and he brings so much momentum behind him that the only thing I would say and the you know if you're a Penn State fan knock on wood like he's small and he hits a lot like I just worry about him getting hurt but he is so well built he's so fast he's so aggressive I don't know how they're going to get him on the field because there's so much depth in the secondary but he's going to get on the field those would be the two I would highlight immediately and when you use terms like aggressive and explosive I think that just makes Manny Diaz's day. He's going to yeah. find a way to get ag aggressive, explosive players on the field. That is it for quarter number two, T. Frank. Are you ready? Ask T. Frank is coming up in quarter number three. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Are you a company that is passionate about athletics and wants to tap into the Penn State sports community? Maybe you're a community organization in State College, Center County, Pennsylvania, or even Planet Earth. Are you interested in growing your brand and leveraging our YouTube and podcast platform? Or are you just a person that has some money to spend? If you're any of those things, or something I didn't bring up just now, consider advertising on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube show. We have a dedicated and passionate audience that is just waiting to hear from you. 
through, through me talking about your business on the show. That, that's how we do it. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, email Michelle Delete Hamilton at Michelle at ComanPub.com. That's Michelle at ComanPub.com. We're waiting to hear from you through me talking about you again. That's how we do it. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. It's quarter number three. That means it's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions. We ask T. Frank. At the end, he'll pick out a best question. Whoever sent us the question will win the prize pack from 409tailgateclub.com. few or a couple administrative things real quick here, T. Frank. With our app, some of you, if you already have the app, we've changed hosts for our app. It means it's been upgraded. Go to your app store, update your app. There'll be a few additional items you'll see. One of them, one of them, you'll see the blue white illustrated logo. If you go, you'll get to the YouTube channel where T Frank is the host. Not only that, but once a week, you'll get to see me with T Frank. You'll see the <laughs> video version of this show, which is fantastic. T Frank, we are so happy to be teaming up with you on that also um if you've been a winner over the last several weeks due to our changeover we've had some slip up some things fell through the cracks if you've won a prize over the last month or so and we haven't sent it out to you please just send me an email let me know what's going on and we'll make sure we'll get that out to you and i apologize for any mess ups there all right t frank let's get to the questions let's start with jason jason is in alexandria virginia he says T. Frank, we're hearing the positive reports about Smolik at quarterback. What have you seen from him? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit in the first quarter. Um, I'll just reiterate what I saw from him in high school because I think that it, it translates. And he just needs to learn the offense. The, the dude's a stone-cold killer. Like, when we talk about having it factor, and I'm not saying he's going to be a franchise quarterback necessarily, that sort of thing. But when it comes to playing in the moment and making the right decision and keeping your process level from a mental standpoint, he is excellent at that in terms of knowing where to go with the football, finding open receivers and trusting himself to throw the football into tight windows, whether it's with anticipation or with pace or just finding the open guy. And we saw that again on Saturday with his ability to to convert, just make plays and that always sounds like a cliche and an out, but there's something about that in terms of uh, his 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 spatial awareness and his intelligence of knowing the the situation as much as he knows exactly what the play is and being able to draw it up in his mind like beautiful mind on a whiteboard. Like Mike Yersich just said, he needs to get better at knowing the offense. Um, and and he used a word that I can't I can't remember exactly, but basically articulate the offense um, and, and be able to explain everything on the whiteboard. That part is still developing, but the, the production part going against the third team offense. And, and I imagine sometimes when you're going ones against fours going against the first team defense, he's on his he's running for his life all the time. And he is the smallest of the three quarterbacks, but he has a good arm. And he gets the ball where it needs to go, and he's accurate consistently. So everything we saw from him on film, but I think the not necessarily a surprise, but the unknown was his arm strength from high school after coming off a collarbone injury 
how strong is his arm? And it looked like overall there was more to develop there. It's gotten stronger. So even after his senior season, it was good. It wasn't necessarily great. He looks like he throws darts now. Like he's got a strong arm to put the ball where it needs to go. Okay, let's move on. Let's get to Kevin in Port Matilda who says, T. Frank, I actually like the defensive tackles on this team. Who do you think among them could be the breakout candidate? The interesting thing is they're all kind of the same shape. So Hakeem Beeman is bigger. Like I had a hard time recognizing Beeman because normally I'm like, where's the guy that doesn't look like a defense tackle? Oh, there's Hakeem Beeman. But I was like, okay, so there's a defensive tackle I don't recognize. Who is that? Oh, that's Akeem Beeman. So I think James Franklin talking about like a breakout year from him, I could buy that. Like he's 285. I think he can maintain that and get bigger. Um, he seems to now know how to do that, you know, in terms of the calories it takes for him to keep weight on. So that's an area I'd start with. You generally start with a veteran who you've seen flash for several years but needs to really put it all together he seems to be putting it all together because again he was a guy that played very well when we looked at him, them on saturday uh zane durant he's gonna have a lot of different roles within the defense so breakout in terms of dominant guy on the roster i don't know if that's just his not yet maybe maybe uh midway through the season he might be a guy that that starts to do that um, and then my favorite, you know, Jordan Vandenberg, because he's this is the thing about Jordan Vandenberg. He's big. He's 300 pounds. He's aggressive. And now he's confident and he's got great athleticism, great agility. Uh, and he's explosive off the ball. He hasn't lost any of that explosiveness while being the size that he is. His biggest issue was knowledge of the playbook. And he is a little bit limited in his frame, like his length. Um, but you can overcome those things if you are playing more aggressive and smarter and faster than the other guy. And it seems like he is turning that corner into being somebody who does that. So breakout player that makes more plays, he might be the guy of that group. Um, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go with those three. And, and one of those three is going to be somebody that takes a step forward. It's nice to hear that there's at least three candidates for that, though, T. Frank. Again. Yeah. Talks a little bit uh, to, to that depth thing that we were talking about earlier. All right, let's go with uh, Paul in Binghamton, who says, Hey, guys, I am really pumped for the season. Can't wait to get into the stands with my tea, Frank, and beer. <laughs> well done, sir. Great reference that to tea, the last show. That tea, Frank, is becoming a thing. Um I think the James Franklin issues on game day are overblown. But is there an area that you think he could do better on game day? This, of course, is alluding to, we hear it so often, James Franklin, game management. I do think that's yeah. a little bit of an old thing, and I, it's hard for me to point yeah. at too many situations where he blew it on game day. But do you see anything from him that you think, you know what, he needs to improve there? I will talk about where I think he has improved because we talk about um, players and their development and is Kaziah Izzard going to break out this year? Is Hakeem Beeman going to break out this year? Coaches also can improve. Like, they're people that can learn from their mistakes. And I think there has been a lot of growth and learning as a head coach from James Franklin. Um, I, I think he is torn in a certain area of he believes strongly in analytics. He believes in the information. He's a very data-driven person. But 
his gut can t- tell him stuff. And I think sometimes this is just my reading of the situation. He second guesses himself and then maybe then a timeout comes and, you know, he's got a plan and he knows the plan, but then he goes, okay, maybe I want to think about it for a second. And then fans sense that as like a, a weakness or indecision instead of like an ironclad belief. And I'm going to rote memorize exactly where I need to be in these situations. He, I think he's smart enough. He sees all the possibilities. And sometimes that can get in his way uh, from from a time management standpoint. I don't pay attention to a whole lot of these things, by the way, because I'm too busy evaluating the plays uh, that are happening that are determining whether or not he looks smart afterwards. So that's that's an area where I think for me, I'm not very astute. But these are the areas that I think a lot of fans, they take some umbrage with his timeout management uh, end of half situations. I think the Maryland game a couple years ago or last year, he was trying to see if they could hit a big run and then get in in position for uh, a field goal. And then he went, you know what? It's not worth it. And then everyone thinks it looks bad. And like it, it means nothing like it in terms of the actual outcome of the game. He did the, the thing that would be the safest and not give Maryland points. But the fact that he tried something uh, fans don't seem to like when you try something. So I guess I would put it there. Um, but I also don't, I don't hate that. I like somebody who's aware and I like somebody who is thinking about multiple realities instead of only believing in one, which is, you know, some of the stuff that we, I get into eye rolling about the traditionalism of how you do things with the clock and timeouts and et cetera. Hey, Frank, we'll get the question. And the way you answered it is probably a good segue into our fourth quarter when, where we're going to talk about when you go for and when you don't on fourth down. And here is a rule on any of these things. When you do a trick play or you go against the grain, you're brilliant when it works and you're an idiot when it doesn't work. It's as simple as that T Frank. And you know, the fact of the matter is coaches could make a mistake with their decision, but if it works out, you know, it, it, it's knows. fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I'll, I'll go back to, I, I think it was actually in a bowl game. I want to say when Penn State played Tennessee back in the nineties with Joe Paterno, and I believe it was towards halftime clock running out. They're down on about the 15-yard line. You got to throw the ball because you got to stop the clock if you don't get in the end zone. And he chose to run the ball. Yeah. But they scored. (laughs) They ran it in. So it was brilliant. But God forbid they didn't make it. It would have been – I still to this day think it was a bad decision on his part. But they saw something, and and it actually worked. So you're brilliant if that's the case. All right, let's go to – Pat in Connecticut, who says, hello, KSN team. There's plenty of predictions this year for a three-way tie with Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan for the Big Ten East. The tiebreaker that will most likely separate them would be their cross-divisional opponent's record. I can't be the only one that thinks it's silly since none of the tied teams have any control over it, including scheduling those teams. Wouldn't it make more sense to at least uh, do the tiebreaker based on your complete schedule wins and losses, including out of conference, at least then you'd punish teams like Michigan who scheduled cupcakes for out of conference games. Bonus would be that we might see better out of conference matchups. What do you think about the tiebreaker there, T Frank? I, uh, there's, there's a, that question makes me tired. 
is what I'm going to say. Because, like, uh, here's the thing. Our first assumption is that all three teams are tying for the top of the Big Ten East. And I don't believe that that's going to happen. I think that these teams are going to sort out the way they sort out. And we're not going to have to worry about going down to the granular levels of conference schedule and cross-conference. So the situation that you're concerned about here is such a low percentage possibility of the future. It is a possibility. I mean, we will see this at some point in the future because we've seen it in scheduling in, in the past, you know, in the NFL or on the college football level. But until we get there, I am not going to be concerned about this. This is the same thing that like, you know, and I, I hope I'm not, I hope I don't make her mad by saying this, but like if my wife and I talk about ever having kids and she's like, well, what about I'm like, that's 15 years in the future. I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about what happens next. And Penn State needs to get through the month of September uh, before they even get to any of these games. So I guess that's that's I not to not answer the question because I don't have a good answer to the question for you. It sounds like well, that was an opinion in a question. Well, I'll take it on then, T. Frank, because I'm one of those, okay. when I'm asked to make my prediction for the season, that's my prediction, a three-way tie among those three Perfect. teams. Round robin where they beat each other and it'll be a total mess. And you're right, as far as the probability of that ever happening, when they were making these tiebreaker rules to have three teams in this kind of time uh, tiebreaker, and the fact is with divisional play, they're going to play each other. If it were two teams tied, head-to-head could decide it. With three teams, this is probably what you're going to end up with. And you know what? It's going to be a mess. Whoever gets left out, however you do it, it's going to be a mess. To Pat's point, you know, taking in the entire uh, your entire schedule, I think it, he makes a valid point because you're right. You're going to determine the fact that Purdue has one more win than Minnesota decide your your Big Ten champion and perhaps even who makes it to the playoffs. Although, you know, scheduling Kent State versus, you know, Delaware, <laughs> that might be the end result of including that out-of-conference schedule. The real answer is there's not a good answer to it. There's not a good way to do this tiebreaker, yeah. is there, T. Frank? No, no. And... You know, that's what, and the solution to all this is go out and win your games, T. Frank. It's very simple. Don't split those games with Ohio State and Michigan. Beat them both. Leave no doubt. Be undefeated. You'll go to the uh, championship game and beat on somebody from the West and get yourself a college football playoff uh, uh, entrance. That is it, T. Frank, for quarter number three. Stick around quarter four. T. Frank is going to pick out the winner. And I got bad news for you, Pat. I don't think he's going to pick your question. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. And it's the fourth quarter. T. Frank, before we get to our topic, we need a winner from Ask T. Frank. Who is your winner? Uh, Something that, again, we don't talk about a whole lot. I like the topic of people developing, people getting better. So Paul in Binghamton asked about James Franklin and where he can develop as a coach. You know, I I think that's a uh, one of the reasons he's still here after 10 years is he's gotten better himself throughout his career in, in, in terms of game day development outside best practice, all the things, you know, that, that we even going down to what we talked about in quarter number one of 
being able to take good ideas from other places and adapt them to what Penn State is doing from like an open practice and how that works to having two different teams going at the same time if you can manage it through through health, all those things. Like improving every day, getting 1% every better is the cliche he uses, but it seems like he's a guy that actually lives by it. But we don't ever talk about that. So I think that was a good topic to bring up of, you know, the 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 James Franklin and his development as a coach. I think you just picked Paul because he talked about eating his tea franks at the ballpark. <laughs> uh, T. Frank, we've got a little bit of a different topic for quarter number four, something that interests uh, both you and me, and that is the dilemma that was speaking of coaches and Coach Franklin, that decision of what to do on fourth down, either the choice of going for it or field goal, go for it or punt, and I think was this the one that you got from one of your uh, listeners or contributors on Blue White Illustrated? Uh, yes. Yeah, that was one of the people at the Blue White Illustrated message board. They're watching the KSN show on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. And uh, one of them said, I want to know a little bit more about going forward and fourth down, have a conversation about the T formation, Penn State's success. Because you and I talked about this last week or the week before. Penn State's like 60% on fourth down. I have the number up in front of me here. They are sixth in the nation. They won, it, they won fourth down on 70% of their attempts, 21 out of 30 attempts. So um, for people that think like it's, it's a bad idea and like it's, they're one of the best in, in the country in terms of going out forward on fourth down and picking their spots. You don't, you don't get to 70% conversion rate without knowing, you know, like the spots to take it. And you're a little more successful when you have a Nick Singleton or a Catron Allen carrying the ball. And we saw the difference with this Penn State team just a few years ago. Third and one or fourth and one was a nightmare. Now, yep. T. Frank, if you talked about James Franklin being analytical, I think you and I are both analytical type thinkers. And I think if you follow football at all and you follow the analytics, Teams should go for it on fourth down more often. It's my personal belief the reason why it doesn't happen is because if you punt the ball, no one criticizes you. If you go for it and miss, you get criticized for it. Well, James Franklin's actually talked about that. that's the biggest issue. Yeah, James Franklin's actually talked about that where it's like immediately afterwards, the color analyst says, I don't know if I would have gone for that. And his point was, maybe you should say that before it happens so that you don't get to the benefit of hindsight, um, because that happens a lot. And that is the perception that is then generated to the audience. Well, I'm going to give you uh, my example, and I believe this was Penn State Purdue a few years back, I think during the uh, Joe Moorhead era, going towards the end of the half, Purdue has the ball like on their own 29-yard line, fourth and one, and the color analyst does ahead of time warns them, do not go for it. You have to punt it here. You have to. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. Penn State was getting hot. As a Penn State fan, I'm thinking, please punt it so my team could get the ball back. And, of course, they got it back, went down the field and scored. But I'll tell you what didn't happen. That announcer did not come back on and say, well, gee, maybe I was wrong. Maybe they yeah. should have gone for it. However, yeah. if the reverse had happened, they, you know he would have said, I told you so, correct? Well, I mean, I assume. Yeah, everyone, everyone, every human loves to say, I told you so. Every human loves to be right. So I would assume that that human would very much love to tell somebody, I told you so, because it feels good and because you feel validated in your position, which 
a lot of times we're out here blown in the wind, Jim, like all of us, <laughs> we have our thoughts and opinions. And sometimes if you're self-aware, you're like, well, maybe I'm not right. And you know, a, a curse of people who have self-awareness. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about this, uh, T Frank with the fourth down situation. I think you and I agree. Uh, teams should go for it more often than they do. What are the parameters, though, that fans are missing, coaches are missing, that need to be taken into consideration a little more often when it's time to make that decision to go for it or not? Well, I, I want to be clear that I, I don't have all the answers here. I have my set of understandings and what I've learned from you know studying football and listening to smart people. So I, I can't say that I have hard data for you. Um, I do think that um, I've come off my position a little bit of like, always go for it. Always. You've got to have something unique that makes it a higher percentage chance to, to convert on, on fourth down. Um, so a couple things that, that are important to know and, and what, let's start with the negative. What is the result of you not getting it on fourth down? And that's an area where I think, um, if you look at a chart of, um, when like what is the percentage chance that your opponent then scores afterwards so if you give the ball up at the 50 yard line this is according to some of the research i've done the other team has a 40 percent chance of scoring it's not 90 like when you give the ball at the 50 yard line i think a lot of a lot of fans think automatic points for the other team is it's 40 percent um and then when you you know back from there obviously it goes higher but if you make a team, so this is the other thing I think where we talk about James Franklin learning. If you've got a great defense and you've got a good punter, the chances of the opponent scoring, uh, once you get outside the 20, get above 40%. But below that, like it's in the 30% chance that you score if you start within your own 20. So the balance of what you do versus what your opponent can do, like field position is a thing. But scoring points, if you want to, then we, we zoom out even further to like converting a, a, a fourth down and getting points out of that and the percentage chance of winning in real time, it goes up astronomically. So even if it is better to trust your defense, if you've got a very strong defense, going for it on fourth down is not the nightmare that you think it is. Like the conversion rate for some of these top teams is 60 and 70%, like we talked about. So I do think there are some nuances to it that are not purely analytical because the data is looking at every single football team, right? It's all the fourth down that's have, that have ever happened, but not every fourth down and not every team is created equally. So you do have to understand situation, talent, strength, advantages, matchup, et cetera, and then make your best decision based off the math in that, in kind of thread that needle. I do think that is a part of what a good coach does in these situations. And T. Frank, there's some subtle things, even part of the analytical, like if you're at fourth and one, what is the percentage of making it? And I know a lot of people think if I'm in my own territory, especially very deep, I'm on my own 10 yard line, I definitely should not go for it because I'm giving up possession on my own 10. But the fact is, if I punt the ball, where I'm still giving the team, the opponent, the ball on my side of the field. So there's more going on here than just the pure statistics. Do I make it on fourth down or not? There's where are you giving the other, the, your opponent the ball? And how highly do you value possession? Just by 
turning the ball over, you are changing the game if you're not keeping possession. Yeah. And I was just trying to look up some uh, more hard data instead of talking around it. So this is according to NFL.com. This is the next-gen stats. Fourth and inches, conversion probability is 77%. Fourth and two is 59%. So you have a better than half a chance, almost 60% chance at fourth and two of making it. Fourth and one, 72%. And this is, again, going back into, if you want to extend that out into college, I think that the margins are a little bit wider. But at the same time, if you have uh, a Josh Allen or a, um, a Lamar Jackson or a Nick Singleton, somebody who changes the dynamics of that in you know, that situation, or you've got a great offensive line, those probabilities are, are higher for you. So going back to James Franklin and, and you know, where they ranked last year in terms of fourth down conversion percentage, the only team that had more raw fourth down conversion percentages in the top 10 was uh, West Virginia. They had 22. Penn State had 21. Penn State had the highest, the highest number of fourth down conversions and the highest percentage. So they went for it a lot. They had a lot of opportunities and they got it. So those are, I think, when you, when you have a balanced attack, you have the ability to put the defense in a no-win situation and you truly have like these, these weapons, it is actually a bad idea not to use them. Going back to the thing, you know, like whether you should punt and trust your defense. Score points. Put your put your skill positions in player to, in places to score points. Well, your uh, message board person who brought this up also, you said, brought up the idea of this T formation, which is part of Penn State's yeah. success on these fourth downs when it's fourth and one, fourth and two. They're just playing good at it with the talent they have, and with Mike Yursich, you know, putting together this T formation scheme. It seems like they're successful almost every time. Uh, close. You know, they they had, um, you know, like I said, 21 of 30. But I, I was looking at some of the, the data from the T formation. And yeah, it, it's pretty astronomical. And just to go into that formation, a little bit of the X's and O's, there's a lot of different varieties. And they evolved it over the year. If you remember, it started out as a quarterback sneak. And then they were able to run right or left based on, you know, the defensive formation. And then they exploded out of that into a four receiver set or a receiver screen. So they're able to do things with personnel that fit within their offense. And this is the other thing is like they'll run a screen with two tight ends out into the boundary anyway. And, you know, the only difference is now they're throwing out a running back along with the guy who's going to catch the football. So it all fits within the offense and it's all based on matchups and what you want to do. And you have to keep evolving these things. So if, if Penn State comes into this next year with the same game plan and they don't add a new wrinkle, add a new uh, subtext of here's another thing we could do out of this, defenses will adapt and, and shut it down. And going back to some of the stuff in the NFL, like you have to have a, uh, a, a plan and a good plan on fourth down. You can't just run anything and the numbers will work for you. You have to have certain advantages, certain things you know you can do in order to convert it. So it still takes good coaching to be so good on fourth down. It's not just the numbers give it to you. You've got to be able to do, you've got to have both sides of that. And let's add this factor in too with T. Frank, with what Penn State did last year, specifically out of the T formation. It wasn't always just that they made the first down. 
they had big plays out of that and touchdowns yeah. out of that formation. So it wasn't just, oh, fourth and one, we picked up two yards, we moved the sticks. No, how often did we see Singleton break out? Or as you said, by the end of the season, they were sometimes throwing the ball out of it. All right, T. Frank, that's it for quarter number four. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.